So we are in this series on uh, the Ten Commandments. Today we come to the Second Commandment. Um, and last week I just wanted to, to summarize a couple things that we saw in the First Commandment. The First Commandment and all Ten Commandments uh, reveal to us a personal, loving God who wants to be in relationship with us. Um, it reveals his character. The Ten Commandments definitely reflect the very character of God and then also his will for our lives. But amazing thing right there in that first commandment that there is a God. I mean, imagine if there wasn't a God. There is a God who cares about us, who is sovereign, who is the foundation of all that happens uh, in the world. We're not alone. That is great news. And that's how the Ten Commandments begin. Uh, the first three are all about our relationship, the vertical relationship with this God. That's where it starts, because that is the most important. God is this God who wants to be in relationship with us, and this is the meaning of life. May I be so bold to say, this is the meaning of life. And if you miss out on this, you miss out on the very reason why you have been created. You may have some great experience, experiences in your life, great relationships, uh, material blessings. But if you miss out on this relationship, you've missed out on why you've been created. And so it begins with that. And then the second commandment really builds upon the first and is just as straightforward. These first few commandments are very succinct, are they not? So let me read uh, the scripture for you. I just remembered I have to get the... Sorry about that. So here, here are our two scriptures. We'll be reading from Exodus, verses 1 through 4, chapter 20, and then um, also a passage of scripture from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus encounters... Uh, this young man who is searching for life. So first from Exodus, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Remember, sets us free from slavery first. So grace, love, comes first before the law. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not, and here's the second one, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And that's the cosmology of the ancient world, the heavens, what's on earth, and then what's below. And then from Luke chapter 18, a student, I love this story, a certain ruler, in other uh, gospels it says a young, young ruler, asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. God, we pray that you would take these scriptures, this word to us, and make it alive for us this morning, that we can see how it relates to our lives and what we deal with on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that our minds would be open, our hearts, our ears would be open to what you have to tell us today, and I pray that we would be both comforted and challenged. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, all of us have yearnings. Every one of us. We all have yearnings, uh, different desires in our hearts. Some are not so strong, but some. Some are powerful. And they are so powerful that they can drive our lives. They can guide our decisions. They can set our priorities. And these desires are deep inside our hearts. Desires, yearnings for things like, like meaning and purpose and hope and success, wealth, security, and love. And our second commandment today deals with these desires. Because these desires can become, lead us to what the second commandment is all about, and that is idols. And the second commandment warns us very clearly, you shall not make any idols. You must never bow down to an image or worship it in any way. Now, today we look at this commandment and we think, oh, that's for a long time ago. I mean, I don't have a golden calf in my house that I bow down to, right? We don't create little idols that we worship, physical things. Now, in the ancient world, wow, they knew exactly what this commandment was talking about because there were all kinds of relationships or all kinds of gods that people worship to meet these different needs for security and health and love. Just a, a multitude of gods and a multitude of idols, of statues, some, some great, huge statues in the ancient world that people look to to satisfy these very deep desires. So we think, well, we don't do that. Ah, oh, don't dismiss this one too quickly. Because <laughs> we live in an age of idols. They're all around us. And in some ways, they're even trickier. More subtle than the desires of the ancient world. But you know what? They are just as seductive and just as dangerous. Now, what is an idol? How would I recognize it in my life? Well, here's a great definition. An idol is whatever you look at, whatever you look at, and it's different for all of us, perhaps. There's some common ones, but we each have our own. You look at something and say, in your heart of hearts, oh, 
if only I could have that. Then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I will know that I am significant and secure. That's an idol. An idol is something we look to to give us something that only God can give us. Martin Luther said this pretty clearly. That to which your heart clings and entrusts entrusts itself to is, I say, really your God. Now this, I've been intrigued by this idea of idolatry for a long time. (laughs) Uh, It is very key to a very important concept in uh, what Don and I come from, Reformed theology. It's talked a lot about. And I think it is so fascinating. And for me, it's so interesting because you, once you get a, a hold of this concept, you can see it just everywhere in our society and how these idols drive people in their lives, drive us. And they're tricky because... One of the things that is seductive about idols is the fact that most of the time, and in fact, I would say almost all the time, idols are good things. They're very good things. Now, sometimes they can be clearly destructive, like in the case of uh, alcohol abuse or drug addiction, or any other kind of addiction, we can see those are destructive. But other times, most of the times, the things that really tempt to steal our hearts are good things. Good things that God has created and given to us as gifts. And because they are good, and even things that God wants us to value and and enjoy, they're dangerous because they can sidetrack us and end up stealing life from us. They can steal our hearts. Now, let let me throw out a couple of idols that I think are really prevalent in our time today. And we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Arthur Brooks and his four, four, four idols. And I think he definitely names them. Career or success especially in a culture like ours in the Bay Area. Success, oh, no doubt, an idol. Now, career can be an idol. Career is a good thing. God wants to give us something that that makes us feel productive, that gives us purpose, that makes a difference in our lives. So career can be an idol. Material possessions. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that material possessions or money is bad? Not at all. But it can become an idol and can end up stealing our hearts. Pleasures, hobbies, sports. At one time, I had to confess that the Los Angeles Lakers were an idol of mine. I said, Lord, you got to help me here. <laughs> you can steal our hearts. Beauty. Health, fitness, perfect body. All these things can be idols. Now, 
It can get even trickier than that. You know, I think one of the idols of our time is family. We can look to our family, to our kids, to our spouses, to give us things that only God can give us. Man, it seems so right and proper. I mean, God tells us to to prioritize family. Yeah. But it can become an idol. Nationalism. Security that comes from a, a strong nation. It can become an idol. In fact, I'm seeing it right now before my eyes. Become an idol in our country. Politics. You know, I've said this before, and I have to say, this is my original idea. I actually didn't read this anywhere until after I thought about it. So I'm going to claim it, because there are not many things I can claim like that. I think as God has got pushed to the sidelines, remember, God meets all these needs. But as we push God to the sidelines in our culture, we still want those needs met for hope and security. And we're looking to politics, to politicians, to political party, to give us those things. And friends, can I tell you, you will never have all those needs met by politicians. (laughs) But we want to look somewhere for these things to be met. And when God gets pushed to the sidelines, we'll look other places. That's why I think, I'm just going off on my opinions here right now, Politics has become, have you noticed how life and death they are right now? How much power people are giving to politics? It's not how it used to be. Why is that? We think that those things, we're giving it weight because we're looking for something to meet these deep needs. Here's one that you may not even think of. You know what? The Bible can be an idol. Bibliolatry. I've seen it. Don, have you seen it? People start worshiping the Bible instead of worshiping God. These idols are often good, but when we give them too much weight and we look to them to give us things that only God can give us, then they become an idol and they can become destructive. Now, why does God warn us not to worship these idols? Is God just a jealous God that just wants us to worship him? No, it goes back to what I said last week. God is a good God who wants the best for us. And he knows that when we worship these things, a couple things will happen. One will be we will always be disappointed. When we look to these things, to idols, to give us what only God can give us, it just makes sense, doesn't it? That we will be disappointed. We can have all of them and still not be satisfied. You know, we, we see this in this story of the rich young ruler today. Here is this young man who has everything. He has youth. He has power. He has prestige as a ruler and being a young man. He has wealth. He has education. 
all these things. And he comes to Jesus and he's very earnest. And he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the word there for eternal life is really this word zoe in the Greek. It means not just life in heaven, life after death. It means life right now. I am looking for something to give me life. I have all these things that everyone is, gonna, is telling me that will give me life, and I'm missing something. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He starts telling him the commandments, and then the young man interrupts. I've, you know what? I have managed these things. I have kept them since youth. And see, this is where the commandments can be a problem. You think that if you keep the commandments, you know God. No, they are pointing us toward God. This is religion. We can manage religion, but we can't manage a relationship with God. It's big. So Jesus says, well, you know what? You lack one thing. And this is how we often interpret this story is that wealth is bad. Jesus is not saying that wealth is bad. Jesus knows this man's heart. And he says, you know what? You lack one thing. Take your money and give it to the poor. I always wish Jesus had said, give it to the church, but he didn't. Give it to the poor. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm so glad we are partners with City Team reaching out to those who God cares so much about, the lost, the least, the last, and the left out. That's God's heart. That's the kingdom of heaven. He says, take that and give it away. And what does he invite him to? A relationship with him. Come because this is the thing, this is your idol. This is what you are looking to, to give you life. You're clinging to it. And what you have to do is let go of it. And come and follow me. Be in relationship with me. Beautiful story, isn't it? And of course, you know, it's said he walks away sad because he can't give it up. And see, this is what idols do. We can have all these things and still be disappointed. An idol can never deliver on its promises. Never. We will always be disappointed. We will never find satisfaction. You can see this, can't you? I mean, how... You know, you want the corner office. You get the corner office, and what do you want? You want a bigger corner office. You get some money, and what do you want? I want more money. That's going to do it. Doesn't do it. I want material possessions. You have them. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was in Lake Tahoe for vacation with my wife. We went over and saw some friends who have this beautiful lakefront home on Lake Tahoe, brand new. Their other cabin burned down in a fire, so they got all this insurance money. They built this beautiful home on the west side in their homewood. It's just gorgeous. It's, I told Leslie, you know, this house is perfect. It's perfect. 
And he has, they have one of those hacker crafts. It's like the Woodies, the crisscrafts, you know, crisscrafts, remember those? Even better. 18 feet, all wood. It's a floating piece of art. We go out in that boat, and I'm just thinking, man, this is the life. <laughs> I'm living life large. These other people are walking by in these funky little ski boats, and here we are in this beautiful boat. Wow, how tempting it would be. This inanimate object, but it represents so much more. It re represents the god of life on the lake, right? How many people want life on the lake? I mean, it'd be pretty good, right? And yet you get all that, and it leaves you yearning for more. So they always disappoint. And the second thing it can do is it can always, it, it can be destructive. It can ruin your pers perspective on what's really important. You know, like think about this. What if family is your idol? Your kids. Let's say you're, let's say you're a mom. You worship your kids. You give them first priority in your life. You know what? That is a bad thing for everyone. It's destructive. You give them too much weight. You're looking to give you, you're looking to them to give you things that they can't give you. They're not gods. You're making them little gods. You're making them little golden calves. <laughs> kids, if they're worshipped, what happens to them? They're going to feel that pressure. They're going to rebel or they're going to give up because they can't meet that standard, right? In fact, I can almost guarantee you, you worship your kids and they're going to end up not liking you. Am I speaking the truth here? Do you know parents like this? They're helicopter parents. They're ruining their kids. Because so much is writing on their kids, the parent worshiping the child becomes too involved, too much is writing on their relationship, and it, it, they can't meet it. And sometimes the parent can no longer be the parent because so much is writing on this relationship. And then what happens when the kids leave? And grow up, hopefully, start their own life. What happens to that spouse that has been playing second fiddle for a long time? What happens to that relationship? What happens if the kids do not reciprocate with the kind of love that the parent is looking for? Wow, you see how worshiping family, kids, is not good for the family, it's not good for the kids, it's not good for you, it's not good for the spouse. But if we worship God, God fills us. God meets those deep needs so that we can give to our kids, we can hold loosely to them, right? Let them have freedom. Let them grow up. Let them be their own people. We do it out of fullness. Same with our spouses. You know, same thing with career. If your career is your idol, wow, that's putting a lot of weight on your career. And what happens if things start going wrong? Well. 
then you are going to be very tempted, right, to lose perspective, to compromise your integrity, or sacrifice your convictions to please those stakeholders, right? You see how this works? You need a center to your life that is giving you life. And that is the good news from this commandment. You know, sometimes we read these commandments, they feel heavy and like, where's the gospel in this? Where's the good news? Well, here's the good news, and I'll finish with this. The good news is that God loves us. We have a personal God who wants to be in a relationship, who wants to give us these gifts for us to enjoy. To be full. And we don't have to spend our entire lives chasing different idols. Boy, do you know people who have done that? Go from one thing to another, trying to fill those needs that only God can meet. This is the good news, that God is a personal God who loves us and wants to fulfill the deepest yearnings of our lives. A personal, loving God. Amen. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us with this unbelievable love that wants to be in relationship with us and give us the things that these, these meet these yearnings that you have placed in our hearts. Yearnings for things like hope and peace and security and joy and love and purpose. God, may we look to you. May you help us to be wise and to identify those things that can steal our hearts and help us to look to you. We pray these things.